The following podcast contains advertising. To access an ad-free version of the Lawfare podcast, become a material supporter of Lawfare at patreon.com lawfare. That's patreon.com lawfare. Also, check out Lawfare's other podcast offerings, Rational Security, Chatter, Lawfare No Bull, and The Aftermath. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I think there's still a possibility of this higher, highest level of scrutiny, strict scrutiny, even if the government is aiming to protect privacy interests because they're banning an entire platform where, where the, there's a real concern that people's access to information is um, is going to be impacted. So I think that the government will have some issues with the content, arguing that this is content neutral because its concerns rest so heavily on what a foreign power would do with that information. It seems very speaker-based or platform-based and not not neutral in the way that we usually think of uh, time, place, and manner restrictions. I'm Alan Rosenstein, Associate Professor of Law at the University of Minnesota and Senior Editor at Lawfare. And this is the Lawfare Podcast, April 14th, 2023. Today, we're bringing you an episode of Arbiters of Truth, our series on the information ecosystem. Over the past few years, TikTok has become a uniquely polarizing social media platform. On the one hand, millions of users, especially those in their teens and 20s, love the app. On the other hand, the government is concerned that TikTok's vulnerability to pressure from the Chinese Communist Party makes it a serious national security threat. There's even talk of banning the app altogether. But would that be legal? In particular, does the First Amendment allow the government to ban an application that's used by millions to communicate every day? To think through the legal and policy implications of a TikTok ban, my co-host, Matt Peralt, and I spoke with Ramya Krishnan, a staff attorney at the Knight First Amendment Institute at Columbia University, and Mary Rose Papandrea, the Samuel Ashe Distinguished Professor of Constitutional Law at the University of North Carolina School of Law. It's the Lawfare Podcast, April 14, a TikTok ban and the First Amendment. Mary Rose, could we start with you, and can you just walk us through, what is the framework for a First Amendment challenge to a TikTok ban? Sure. The people challenging a ban, whether it's TikTok or uh, the users, uh, will argue that a ban is a prior restraint subject to the highest level of constitutional scrutiny. Under this framework, the government would need to demonstrate a compelling government interest and that the ban is narrowly tailored to achieve that interest. And most importantly, I think, as it will come out in our conversation, that the ban is the least restrictive way of achieving that interest. The government would argue that it is a what we call a content neutral ban subject to a lower level of scrutiny, intermediate scrutiny. Even here, however, the government would still have to satisfy a somewhat less robust, narrowly tailored requirement and show that the regulation 
is or this ban is serving its compelling government interest and that there isn't a less restrictive alternative. I think one of the differences here is that the court would be um, less likely to suggest other possibilities that they could have done. So those are the those are the two frameworks. They're competing frameworks. So it's not, you know, it's not clear what a court would do. Yeah. And, and let me let me ask a follow-up and and Rami, you should also feel free to, to to jump in with thoughts on this. How, if at all, does the analysis change if there is a sort of national security or foreign policy context? Obviously the First Amendment doesn't itself make an exception, but I, I do think there's a sense at least in which courts are perhaps a bit more deferential on these topics when the government can credibly assert that this is not so simply a matter of domestic communications, but there's, there's a real national security concern going on as well. I would say that the government will certainly argue that the courts should be um, very deferential to the government's um, claims on national security grounds. This is true in every national security type of case, uh, but the courts have been pretty clear that even when national security is involved, that does not eliminate the scrutiny. So there'll be some some uh, matter of deference, particularly on any predictions that the government is making about national security risks. But, uh, but in general, there would be uh, still pretty heightened scrutiny here of, of the government's claims, notwithstanding the national security context. Yeah. And I mean, just to add to that, I think it's notable that uh, when the TikTok and WeChat um, Trump bans, which challenged a few years ago, uh, the national security interests asserted by the government were not automatically credited. And in fact, one district court rejected precisely the national security interests that are being pointed to now, which are that, you know, we need to prevent China from using uh, TikTok as a tool for pushing disinformation. Um, and we need to make sure that uh, Americans' data is secured from uh, the Chinese government. So what the court said in the WeChat case was that that while that might be a compelling interest, a flat-out ban on WeChat was not sufficiently tailored to that interest. There were a number of sort of less restrictive um, alternatives that the government could have pursued but didn't. I'm so glad Ramia brought up these prior cases because um, we do have some some insights into how a court might handle these questions because they have come up in government attempts to restrict WeChat and TikTok in earlier cases. And one thing I wanted to highlight was that, that it is important for the government to be very clear about what the national security risk is, because I've seen it articulated in a number of different ways on a spectrum from a concern about you know using TikTok or you know other platforms owned by foreign um, companies to engage in hacking or uh, disrupting the systems themselves, like sort of traditional cybersecurity concerns. But but then, uh, which is uh, easier to credit and does not raise as many First Amendment concerns. But then it goes on a spectrum to uh, protecting the data, to uh, protecting Americans from disinformation. And when you go to that end of the spectrum, um, the First Amendment concerns become much more heightened. So I would say that the first thing the government needs to do is be very clear about what the risk is here, because it's been articulated in, in different ways. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that there's an interesting uh, wrinkle with the government's interest in sort of protecting Americans from disinformation, because the court held in, it's held in a series of cases, but sort of most famously in a case 
from over 50 years ago called Lamont versus Postmaster General, um, that Americans have a First Amendment right to receive uh, information and ideas from abroad. And that extends to what you might characterize as foreign propaganda or disinformation. So there's a, there's a question, I think, whether that interest is even legitimate. And interestingly, in that um, WeChat litigation from you know a few years ago, the government actually sort of tried to move away from that interest because the plaintiffs in the case argued, well, that's a content-based purpose. Um, so that, you know, means that this ban should be subject to strict scrutiny. And the government said, no, 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 no. Our real interest here is in protecting um, Americans' privacy. So I think they know that they're weaker on that ground too. So could we actually go back to that point? Because that feels like a critical one that we sort of move through relatively quickly, which is just this fork in the road between intermediate scrutiny and strict scrutiny. And I really want to understand here what the delineating factors would be and then how a court would sort of choose between those two routes and then what you think the government would say potentially to try to lower the level of scrutiny and what TikTok might say to try to ensure that it is subject to a strict scrutiny analysis. Sure. I, I think, you know, it could it could very well go to the purposes the government asserts for restricting the speech. Um, as as Ramya says, if the asserted interest is to protect Americans from disinformation, that is absolutely a content based restriction just on its on its face. There's no way there's no way around it. So that would clearly be subject to um, heightened strict, you know, highest level of scrutiny. I think there's still a possibility of this higher, highest level of scrutiny, strict scrutiny, even if the government is aiming to protect privacy interests because they're banning an entire platform where, where the, there's a real concern that people's access to information is, um, is going to be impacted. So I think that the government will have some issues with the content, arguing that this is content neutral because its concerns rest so heavily on what a foreign power would do with that information. It seems very speaker-based or platform-based and not not neutral in the way that we usually think of uh, time, place, and manner restrictions. Yeah, I mean, I think that the potentially the most straightforward pathway to uh, strict scrutiny is by characterizing the ban as, as a prior restraint. And if it's a prior restraint, it becomes presumptively unconstitutional. And I think that the courts um, scrutinize the interests being raised by the government much more closely. And that includes uh, if they're asserting sort of national security interests. The court from that WeChat case said that the ban there was equivalent to uh, a prior restraint. And that seems right to me because a ban on a sort of entire social media platform is a broad deterrent to a really massive number of speakers. We're talking about over 100 million Americans here. So I think that that, you know, even if it's content neutral, that's um, a pathway to, uh, you know, strict scrutiny here. The court has also held, you know, in a series of cases that that regulations attract particularly stringent scrutiny where they foreclose an entire medium of communication. And I think that, you know, that line of cases um, might be applicable here as well, because TikTok really is an important and sort of unique medium of communication. I'm sure the government would try to argue that it's, you know, fungible with all the other social media apps that Americans have access to. But 
TikTok has, you know, it's used to towards young people. It's used by over two thirds of um, young Americans for these young people. I don't think TikTok is uh, is fungible with its competitors. Um, you know, there's a reason that copycats like YouTube Shorts and Instagram Reels haven't uh, taken off. And I think that's because it offers a particular set of affordances um, that other apps don't provide. So I think that, you know, even if this is content neutral, that's going to raise particular concerns. And, you know, a case that uh, I think is particularly relevant here is the Supreme Court's decision in a case called Packingham. That case, in that case, the court invalidated a North Carolina law that prohibited registered sex offenders from accessing social media that allowed children to have accounts on. And the court there uh, didn't decide whether the ban should attract more stringent scrutiny, ultimately said, you know what, even if this is subject to a lower level of scrutiny here, um, it fails. But I think notably it said, you know, we have never endorsed a ban of this reach. And a ban on TikTok, something of that magnitude, is far more sweeping than the ban that the court considered there. So let, let me jump in and, and try to do a couple things in this conversation. So I, I, I think it might be helpful if I sort of play devil's advocate a little bit. I, I think sort of you, Ramya, and Mary Rose are, are pretty simpatico on, on your views here. And, you know, I, I think it's useful to sort of, we can sort of articulate sort of the other, the other perspective, um, which I think I sort of ha- half actually agree with. Um, and I'm willing to sort of play the other half for, for devil's advocate purposes. And so let, let, me, let me ask you both this. So I think it's totally fair to say that however you want to characterize a a ban on TikTok, uh, and I think later in the conversation, we should talk about the different kind of options for that, because I actually do think the specific way in which it is quote unquote banned makes actually quite a big difference here. Uh, But let's say the government were to actually ban TikTok some way and meaningfully interfere with Americans' abilities to use it. I I think it's totally fair to say that, you know, whether you want to call that content neutral or you know, content-based or even prior restraint, um, there's going to be a lot of scrutiny. Exactly exactly how much I think we could parse over. I, I personally am of the view that the fine distinctions between, you know, this kind of intermediate scrutiny and this kind of scrutiny are, are sort of less helpful. Uh, it's sort of a fight over words. And I think especially for something that would be kind of relatively unprecedented like this, I, I, I'm not sure how much the specific categorization would matter. So I think it's safe to say that as a legal matter, it is and ought to be the case that the government's analysis here and reasons will be very seriously scrutinized. So that being said, though, why isn't it sufficient for the government to say, look, this is not just a platform. This is a platform that is, for all intents and purposes, we know, controlled, or certainly has the ability to be controlled at any moment by the Chinese Communist Party, right? Um, So not just a foreign government, but a, a, a competitor foreign government and one whose values are in many ways diametrically opposed to ours. And, and let's talk about the disinformation piece, because I think that's actually the most interesting ground on which the government can fight this fight. They can, through tweaking the algorithm, uh, change what is presented to Americans. And we know that they treat TikTok internally and how that algorithm works very differently than how that algorithm works in the United States. And there are, in fact, alternatives to TikTok. Now, you're, you're absolutely right, Ramya. They have not been successful so far. But I, I think one way you could explain that is not that TikTok's 
you know, secret sauce is so amazing, though it's good, presumably can be reverse engineered, but because network effects are such that, well, once you have a TikTok and once you have all these followers, then it's not enough to be just as good as TikTok. You have to be orders of magnitude better for people to switch. And if you just remove TikTok by government fiat, then YouTube could run its own TikTok, Twitter could run its own TikTok. That functionality would be essentially reproduced. And that those things itself, at some point, allow the government to ban this uh, service. And, And I guess the sort of maybe short way of encapsulating this like long-winded hypothetical is under what circumstances do either of you think, or do you think that the U S government could in fact um, ban a foreign social media platform on the grounds that allowing a a foreign government such entryway into the American media space um, creates too many risks of foreign manipulation of our information environment? Because I do think that is ultimately the, the the most interesting question here and the one where sort of the, the tensions are most sharply drawn. Okay, Alan, I have a lot of things to say in response to what you just said. And um, I appreciate you playing devil's advocate. That's great. So first, I, I, I do agree with your comment that the level of scrutiny, the label that we put on the level of scrutiny may not be the most important. So I will highlight for the listeners the Holder versus Humanitarian Aid case, which ostensibly applied strict scrutiny. But I think most commentators believe that it, it in effect, was a not, not a rigorous level of scrutiny. So, um, so it's certainly true that it's possible, even if the court embraces a, even a prior restraint idea, but certainly if they say strict scrutiny, that it could, in effect, be applying slightly lower level of scrutiny because it is the national security context. So I just want to make that clear that I don't think I disagree on that point. I don't think, and I've really pushed back on this disinformation of um, theory as being the strongest theory because um, I, I think, and for some of the reasons Ram has already said, but you know the the theory that I've seen in reviewing prior cases and recent um, assertions by the government is that they're really worried about. Uh, what the Chinese government is doing with the data and the potential for espionage and recruiting, you know, blackmailing, recruiting spies, I suppose, and uh, and that those are those are real risks that the government can show. Uh, there was a revelation in December of 2022 that. Uh, the company had gotten information about journalists. Uh, so, you know, we have that evidence. So that that puts the government on firmer ground. And then my final just comment, and, and then and then I will deal with your hypo or I'll let Ramna talk and then I'll talk more, is that, um, that I don't think that if the government goes that route where it, it highlights the potential dangers TikTok poses to, um, you know, the, its misuse of users' data, biometric data, facial recognition, and so on, uh, that the courts will question that there is, in fact, a national security risk. So I think um, uh, that the real obstacle for the government will not be, as you say, the level of scrutiny, or even whether it's adequately shown that there is a national security risk. What the real problem will be is showing that banning TikTok is the way to remedy that risk. So that's where, and I think you were, you were getting there with one of your questions. So, but I just want to, um, you know, just respond and, and offer those thoughts first. I'm going to stop talking and let Ramna now jump in. And I'm happy to come back to talking about the disinformation hypo that you posed. 
Yeah, and, and Rami, b- b- before you answer, I'm very curious your thoughts. I just wanted to clarify one thing. So, Mary Rose, I, I completely agree with you that probably both as a factual and as a legal matter, the argument from privacy, the argument from hacking is is going to be probably more effective. Um, and so that's what I would expect the government to to lead with. It does nevertheless strike me that kind of conceptually speaking, um, you know, if I just put on my like First Amendment law professor hat, the, the most interesting argument, like the one that that to me draws these issues sort of in their most bright light is the question of whether or not the government can under any circumstances, where there's any set of circumstances where the government should be able to do something as dramatic as ban an entire media platform because the dangers of that media platform being used for foreign propaganda purposes is so great that uh, even though the First Amendment, as Ramya points out, if, if it hates anything, it hates prior restraint, recognizes that the danger of foreign disinformation is so great to the kind of overall communicative environment that even the First Amendment says, yeah, we're going to allow this prior restraint because there's an even bigger thing at issue. And, and, and to me, our discussion about TikTok and sort of the, the general discussion that, you know, here and, and generally um, is constantly kind of circling around that. And I, I just want to kind of poke at that nerve uh, because I, I think there's, I, I don't know what I think about that. And it strikes me as an incredibly hard problem. Yeah, I I don't know. It's, um, I, I I can't say that there is like no world in which that interest would justify banning an entire social media app. And, and I think that that's because there are so many things that the government could do before actually banning an app that could go some way to address um, that interest. I mean, it could tell Americans that that is how a platform is being used, that it is essentially a tool for foreign propaganda and disinformation. And Americans can make their own decision about whether to continue using the app or not. I mean, I think the problem here is that the risk um, that China is going to use TikTok's algorithm in this way is speculative. At least the government hasn't shared uh, any evidence that the algorithm has been used that way in the past. And the same is true, quite frankly, of the data security concerns that have been raised, uh, you know, to the extent that the concern is that the Chinese government might at some point force TikTok to provide Americans personal data. That's, you know, that that's a speculative ill. And I think that, you know, the other real problem here is that if that's the concern, well, why aren't they trying to pass a comprehensive privacy law? I mean, obviously, a lot of people have said this um, by this point, um, including the former general counsel of the NSA, Glenn Gerstel, but China can get a lot of the same information through the thriving uh, network of data brokers that we have in America. So it's not even clear that a ban on TikTok is going to be effective in achieving the government's purported goals here. And I'll add, um, just going back to the disinformation front, the the one problem with that argument is that so much of TikTok has nothing. I, it's hard for me to see how a lot of the content on TikTok would interfere with the national security interests of the United States. In fact, I'm laughing saying that because if you go on TikTok, it's so much nonsense. It's so much, you know, like weird uses of products and recipes and, 
you know, strange. I don't know. There's a lot of fun and, and, and crazy things there, but there, you know, so much of it, most of it, honestly, I mean, I'm not a, can't say I spend hours and hours on TikTok each day, but what I've seen um, does not implicate national security. So that if that is the asserted interest, I think one big argument that would be made is, you know, citing to a case like near versus Minnesota, where you have a, an attempt to shut down an entire newspaper for publishing um, defamatory or scandalous, I should say, um, content. And the court, and this is an old case, I understand, but the court said, you know, you can't ban an entire publication because, um, you know, it had one thing that was scandalous. So I think that that would be one of the problems. Whereas if the government asserts some of these other concerns about, say, the misuse of data, um, that's something that is broadly applicable throughout the app that doesn't depend on the actual content of what people are posting. And so you wouldn't you wouldn't necessarily have the same concern that you're just taking uh, not just a hammer, I don't know, like a giant, I don't know, a giant thing and smashing something when you really don't need to do that. This, this, you know, and I agree with Rama, then we have other issues about less restrictive alternatives. But but to me, the disinformation rationale really would not support banning the entire app because so much of it is just really, even with the best algorithms, uh, I just don't think would really undermine national security in a realistic way. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And, and, and just, to, just to clarify, so I mean, it, it, just so we can sort of get, get what I think would be sort of the most plausible version of that argument on the table. I mean, I suspect what the government would say is, it's not that we think that you know, the, the silly meme video or the lip syncing dancing video is, is the problem. And we're not actually, and it's not like we think that, you know, the national security threat comes from China addicting all of our, you know, teenagers to 90 second videos. Cause of course, like YouTube has done that already. It, it's that the whole point is that China controls TikTok in some direct or indirect way. Everyone watches it. And then when there is the inevitable flashpoint over the Taiwan Strait, in that moment, that's when China tells TikTok to change the algorithm so that, you know, you see much more kind of pro-China content in that in that debate. Or, you know, uh, you know, Taiwanese, you know, pro-Taiwan TikTokers are you know, de-emphasized. You know, we, we know that presumably you could do that um, because we just saw Twitter source code and you can write a line in, right? Just as Twitter says, if you're E-line, you get a bump up. You could presumably write a TikTok line where it says, you know, if you're talking about Taiwan, you get a bump down. Are you skeptical that that would be a threat or is it more just, look, that's still such a small part of TikTok that you can't shut the whole thing down because there's, you know, a possibility that in a circumstance it could be used for, for ill? 
Sure. I, I'll go back to one thing Ram you said, which is that that we we don't really know that they're doing this. So um, you know, and this this will lead to questions of will the would a court simply accept the assertion that it's possible? Maybe, but I'm not sure that that's true. So absent proof that this sort of algorithmic um, you know shenanigans uh, are actually happening, you know, that's a problem. But yeah, I think I think I just have a problem with banning the whole the whole platform because uh, because of this given so much of it is not uh, posing a national security harm the the other thing I'll raise is um you know I know there are other efforts underway concurrent you know in the United States to regulate the social media platforms more generally you have both sides of the aisle for different reasons wanting to restrict and interfere with content moderation policies on uh, US platforms for the very same, Concerns, not uh, you know that there's been a, a manipulation of what people see, and the fact that it's a foreign actor versus a U.S. actor, the the root um, government interest seems to be very similar. Uh, maybe not sounding in national security so much with the say the Florida, Texas, um, and New York types of regulations, but but nevertheless the same sort of concern about the manipulation of the public discourse and public knowledge that it would to me be very disconcerting if any court uh, green-lighted uh, restriction on a foreign-owned platform and it'd be a very slippery slope that would potentially support restrictions on uh, on what the what US social media companies can do how does the jurisprudence wrestle with this issue of risk versus harm which i assume in like Many cases is probably a really important distinction, but it seems like in the technology sphere, it's a massive one in that tech companies have the capability, in theory, to do lots of harmful things. I think all the things that have been alleged about TikTok, including Alan's excellent hypotheticals, are certainly possible. It's almost, I think it's, I think the uh, the company could not disprove those as possibilities. And actually, other U.S. companies would be unable to disprove similar hypotheticals that you could have rogue engineers who are paid plants from the Chinese government who are making tweaks to algorithms and making tweaks to newsfeed distinctions, for instance, that could harm national U.S. national security interests in some way. It's very, very difficult to prove that that can't happen or isn't currently happening. TikTok seems to me to be in this very challenging position of having to wrestle with those hypotheticals. And as both of you, I think, have suggested... We don't know that those things aren't occurring today. It's conceivable that they are, but there really hasn't been much evidence generated that they are. How will a court deal with this issue where like the risk potential seems high and the risk reality, I think, seems much more attenuated? I, I think that the fundamental problem that the government is going to face is that the courts have made clear that hypothetical threats really aren't enough where speech is at issue. And that includes, I mean, at least as a theoretical matter that applies, uh, you know, where the government is asserting um, national security interests. Um, So the fact that, you know, China might do so-and-so shouldn't be enough if, you know, the the case law is being applied faithfully here. But, you know, as Mary Rose mentioned before, um, sometimes courts get much leerier and flexible <laughs> when um, national security is being asserted. So it's it's difficult to, to know. I mean, I will say that, yes, it is possible 
that some of these things are going on already and the government knows that, but the government should have to make its case publicly, I think, if it's taking this really drastic measure of banning an entire social media platform. It's an unprecedented step. And if it has evidence, it should be at least putting forward that evidence or some version of that evidence before the American public. And that isn't a step that it's taken thus far. But I think if the we go to, if we keep moving towards the span, I think it becomes much more important that this case gets made publicly. I, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm less worried about the government being able to show that there's a national security risk and that and that a court would not credit that risk. I again, I just go back to I just don't think the disinformation theory is the one that would be the best approach for the government, but um I think there is a a real risk if not reality of a China, you know, the Chinese government using the US public's or the you know, Americans uh data in nefarious ways. I think that's, that's just where the, I think there's a lot of energy in the intelligence community on that very front. So yes, would we love to see that evidence? It would be great. Does the government have that evidence? I bet it does, certainly as a, a general matter, that this is something that uh, that is common now, is like the sort of new front in the intelligence world of, of collecting and weaponizing the data, um, including biometric data of citizens in foreign countries. We've been talking so far as if a ban is the most likely option. And I don't know what all of you think, but I think it's not the most likely option. Uh, Secretary of Commerce Gina Raimondo said something along the lines of, um, this would be politically detrimental to us to alienate all the TikTok users of America. And so it seems like there are significant political consequences to moving forward with the ban. The other major option on the table for addressing some of the risk that's been debated here is divestment. So requiring ByteDance to spin off TikTok, at least in theory, to an owner who is more American. I think there are lots of questions about what that means in practice, but that's the general idea. If the government moves in that direction and doesn't require, doesn't implement a ban, but requires divestment, is there still a First Amendment challenge there? And what do you think the merits of that are? I think it probably depends on why they're forcing a sale. If they're forcing a sale because they don't like what TikTok is saying through its editorial decision-making, that seems like a First Amendment problem to me because they would effectively be trying to eliminate a disfavored speaker. And as we've been talking about, we know that that's a key motivation for many lawmakers and officials. They're concerned about TikTok being used um, as a tool for pushing disinformation. At the recent House hearing, we also saw many lawmakers ask uh, TikTok CEO why it wasn't censoring more content about sex, drugs, and violence like its Chinese counterpart, which has been forced to censor uh, that content by the Chinese government. So if those concerns are driving an eventual divestment order, I do think that there's a real um, question whether the order still violates the First Amendment. But I, I do think it's like a slightly more complicated a slightly more complicated issue. I mean, the other argument I've seen floated is that, you know, TikTok could argue that a divestment order amounts to a ban because China will essentially veto the sale of TikTok's algorithm, which is TikTok's entire value proposition. 
I'm a little bit more skeptical about that argument because it would involve this intervening step by the Chinese government. But I'm curious what you guys think. Let me just ask a follow-up just so I, I want to clarify to make sure I understand the, the arguments that you've initially made, which is, which is that if the motive for a divestment is we don't want this communications platform controlled by a, a Chinese-controlled entity, right? Let's just describe it that way, or a chi- Chinese government-controlled entity. That raises a First Amendment concern because you are targeting speech on the basis of the speaker or sort of the architect of the speech. I- I'm assuming the argument is not that like the Chinese Communist Party has a First Amendment entitlement. I- I- so I- I'm-, I'm assuming that it is more, look, we don't want the government to be able to modify the information environment for like U.S. listeners based on the government's sense that a particular speaker is bad versus good, and then and then if that so if that's the if that's the argument, then I guess my question is like, is it really the case that the U.S. government can't try to prevent a competitor nation from influencing the U.S. communicative environment if if if, if all it does is change ownership. I mean, it just, I, I get the argument. It, it does strike me as like, it's not a small claim about the First Amendment. I just want to make sure that I'm, I'm characterizing what you're saying fairly. Yeah, well, I mean, what I'm saying is that if the motivation behind issuing a divestment order is we're worried you, TikTok, are going to um, promote Chinese propaganda um, if you continue to be owned by a Chinese corporation that remains under the control of the Chinese government and demote or bury or get rid, um, remove from your platform any anti-China content, then that's, uh, that's effectively the, the government saying we don't like or we're worried about the um, decisions you're going to make um, about content moderation. And I think that, you know, TikTok would have a colorable argument that that is a protected First Amendment activity um, because it involves the exercise of editorial discretion. And to the extent that forcing a sale is motivated by that specific concern, it raises First Amendment questions. I'm not saying that the divestment order would necessarily still violate the First Amendment. You would still have to, you know, go through that First Amendment analysis. But I'm saying that there's an argument there. You know, I don't know that much about uh, First Amendment challenges to divestment orders. Uh, I don't know if there have been any cases on this, but I did. I did see in, in preparing for this that there had been an apparently widely praised divestment order that uh, forced a Chinese company to divest its ninety eight percent holding in a dating app uh, grinder, based on concerns of its collection of personal information, including HIV status of its users. So, you know, I just don't know that there are actual First Amendment claims. There Maybe there are. I would suggest that, you know, one concern is is more of a, you know, international, political, uh, you know, what, what kind of message are we sending? Because we have to keep in mind that um, we are uh, the beacon of uh, free speech and, you know, around the globe, like typically we are trying to encourage more totalitarian nations to have a free information economy. 
So to the extent that this just goes to support Romno's point, like whether it's a actual First Amendment claim or more of a, is this really the kind of thing we want to do if in fact we're motivated by concerns about disinformation. And so I'm playing with your hypo, Alan. I don't want you to think I've abandoned it. I'd expect nothing less from a law professor. I appreciate it. You see what I'm trying to do here. I'm just trying to keep with your hypo (laughs) that, you know, if we start, you know, telling companies that operate in the U.S. that they have to divest because of their disinformation campaign, that will just come right back and bite us in the you know what? So, um, you know, at least potentially now, this is a bigger issue, right? Uh, I'm sure Alan, that was your next question. I mean, right. It's a, it's a, it's a very, in, you know, almost intractable, intractable problem that you have, um, you know, on the one hand, we do want to encourage, uh, free flow of information and expression, but sometimes we don't. (laughs) And, um, and so, you know, how do we, how do we do that when we think that, you know, we have a true national security threat that might justify restriction of speech, but we don't want other countries to, you know, throw in our faces. Well, look what you did. So now we're going to do that. So Facebook needs to be sold and, uh, you know, other plat, other Twitter and so on, you know, you know, everything needs to be sold to a non-U.S. actor. That would be really detrimental for, for us. One thing that the government has done here is to try to strengthen its hand to take action against TikTok. Um, and one of the avenues that it's taken is a couple of senators, Mark Warner and John Thune, have introduced legislation called the Restrict Act, which would supersede IEPA and in, I think, one important way. So it would, it would supersede the Berman Amendment, which limits the president's ability to use national security powers to limit the import of information materials this was the basis of the judge's decision that strike down the Trump administration's attempt to ban TikTok. So I'm curious what your thoughts are on if this new law is passed, do you think it will change the First Amendment calculus in an important way? I mean, no, I don't think so. I mean, I I think you're right. The bill is an attempted end run around the Berman Amendment. But you know, you can't run around the First Amendment. It's uh, it's true that the bill wouldn't require the president to um, ban TikTok, but it would authorize him to take that action. And if TikTok were banned, I'm not convinced that the First Amendment analysis um, should be different. That said, I do think it would neuter the claims, um, Matt, that you mentioned that the plaintiffs raised in the WeChat and TikTok cases. And those were successful claims. The Berman Amendment essentially says you can't restrict directly or indirectly the uh, import or export of information. It was obviously what a ban on um, the bans on WeChat and TikTok did. And and, and that's why the, the district courts found in the plaintiff's uh, favor in those cases. So yes, the Restrict Act avoids this trap because its review process doesn't rely uh, for its underlying authority on IEPA. And so the IEPA exceptions wouldn't come into play. But I'm not, I, I don't think that the First Amendment calculus would change. I would add, I agree that it would help blunt the more statutory concerns that the prior courts have had. There there might be some, uh, you know, just as far as the level of review that the courts give, you know, to have Congress clearly indicating its concern about information just atmospherically could help support the claims that national security is at risk but but that that would be it really i agree that the first amendment concerns remain 
very similar, if not identical, depend, you know, if, if action is taken pursuant to that amendment or this new law. One reason that that's the case is that the Restrict Act targets information and communications technologies. Potentially, if they had uh, attempted to regulate a broader set of businesses, you know, maybe they would have an argument that this is a generally applicable law and uh, laws of that kind uh, often get more relaxed First Amendment scrutiny when they incidentally burden speech. But I think the fact that they're going after information and communications technologies kind of gives the game away. And the co-sponsors have been pretty clear that they have TikTok in mind. Uh, they had TikTok in mind when writing this bill. All right. So here's our final question. We've focused most of this conversation, I think, on kind of what the First Amendment says and how you guys think that would map onto the case of banning or divesting, divesting TikTok. We'd like to get your thoughts on whether you think that's a good thing or a bad thing. So let's say that the government bans TikTok and the First Amendment is then used to block the ban. So TikTok continues on even over the objections of the U.S. government. In that case, to use the parlance of the tech sector, is the First Amendment a feature or a bug? I love the First Amendment. So to me, it's always a feature. But <laughs> I would say that, um, you know, that, that this would, if that happens, it would push the government to think about alternatives. And, um, and you know, there, there are alternatives here. Um, and, it, and it depends on what the government's true interest is. But if the government's true interest is protecting the data of Americans, well, never mind, you know, we've also heard, I think it was Alan mentioning, you know, concern about young children getting, you know, victimized, preyed upon and so on. Like those are concerns that are not unique to TikTok. And the government needs to face those issues head on, just as, um, say, the EU has um, and perhaps pass some legislation that would protect the data privacy of Americans in a meaningful way, because it is still possible for the Chinese government and other governments to obtain information about U.S. citizens without running a platform to collect that information themselves. They can buy it on the market. So that that would be the, the upshot. The So in other words, the First Amendment does not mean that the government is powerless to counteract uh, some real national security concerns. I, I think the disinformation theory, though, is one I have said before is a very dangerous theory. And I absolutely think it is a feature of our First Amendment that we do not allow our government to tell us what information we can receive. Ramya, what, what about you? Yeah, probably unsurprisingly, as a First Amendment lawyer, I agree with Mary Rose to Alan. We're really relying on you here um, as devil's advocate to inject some diversity of opinion here. Um, you know, I don't think it should be easy to ban a social media platform, particularly one that's used by a third of Americans. The government should have to carry a heavy burden of justification. It shouldn't be enough to point to speculative national security risks. It should have to show that those risks are real and that it can't address those risks in narrow ways. Americans are crying out for a comprehensive privacy law. Give us this privacy law. So, I mean, I think that, you know, if this, if that's, if that's their concern, that's the route that they should take. And I have um, exactly the same sort of issues that, you know, Mary Rose does with the, the sort of disinformation um, justification. I'm just not sure it's a legitimate interest. It, it, is, it is hard to play devil's advocate when there are two such excellent uh, advocates on, on the other side who have the benefit of 
actually believing in what they're arguing, whereas I'm mostly just confused uh, all the time. Um, I, you know, thank you so much, uh, Rami and Mary Rose, for joining us. This is, I'm sure, not the last time we'll talk about this, and uh, probably not the last context. You know, with the, the rise of ChatGPT and our future robot overlords uh, of this you know, difficult questions around disinformation and the dangers of regulating disinformation and all of that. So uh, thank you so much for, uh, for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having us. The Lawfare Podcast is produced in cooperation with the Brookings Institution. You can get ad-free versions of this and other Lawfare Podcasts by becoming a Lawfare Material supporter at patreon.com slash lawfare. You'll also get access to special events and other content available only to our supporters. Please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Look out for our other podcasts, including Rational Security, Chatter, Allies, and The Aftermath, our latest Lawfare Presents podcast series on the government's response to January 6th. Check out our written work at lawfareblog.com. The podcast is edited by Jen Pakya Howell, and your audio engineer this episode is Noam Osmond of Goat Rodeo. Our music is performed by Sophia Yan. As always, thanks for listening. That's the sound of another sale on Shopify. In store. Shopify POS is everything you need to sell in person. From payments to inventory, Shopify unites your sales into one commerce platform. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash retail 23. Shopify.com slash retail 23.